I don't play a lot of golf, but I, I have played enough to know that there is a sweet spot right in the middle of this club head. And I know that if I pound the ball in that precise place, that I'm going to maximize my impact on my shot. It's really amazing. If you've swung the golf club, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't hit the ball straight, if you open the face this way or you close it that way, the ball's not going to go where it's supposed to. It's going to slice or hook or whatever it is. But if you hit it right in the sweet spot, you're going to nail it. The same is true in baseball when you're batting. If you pound the ball right in the middle of that bat or if you got a tennis racket and, and you, you, you beautifully, powerfully hit that ball right in the middle, right in the sweet spot, you know you're going to crush it. Well, I want you to crush your walk with God and crush your spiritual life. And today I want to talk to you about finding the sweet spot of God's calling in your life. You know, God's calling is really an interesting subject God has a, a, a calling. God has a plan for every single one of us. And a calling is just simply the purposes and plans that God has put before us. And I got some great news for you today because there's not one person that's here today that God doesn't have a plan for their life. God has a purpose. God has a sweet spot. And I want to help you today discover that sweet spot of finding and discovering the call of God for your life today from Mark chapter 1. Now last week we kicked off this series called Walk This Way. We're going through the, the first chapter of Mark's gospel and um, we're looking today at this powerful topic, uh, finding that sweet spot. Jesus begins to teach in Mark chapter 1 about the kingdom of God. You see, to understand the sweet spot of where God wants you to be, you got to understand the kingdom of God because you're a part of the kingdom if you're in Christ. God has a role in the kingdom for you. And Jesus' favorite topic to teach on was not the Lord's Supper, it wasn't baptism, it wasn't even salvation as much as it was the kingdom of God. More than 130 times Jesus spoke about the kingdom. And if Jesus talked about something that much, we, we ought to study and we ought to think more profoundly and more deeply about the implications of the kingdom. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom? And so everything I'm going to share with you today is in the context of the kingdom of God. Now we ask the question, well, what is the kingdom of God? You know, what is that? That sounds like some ominous kind of thing, the kingdom of God and Sometimes people think, well, the kingdom of God is in eternity. And that's true. That's part of the kingdom of God. But that's not all that the kingdom of God is. Um, when I hear about kingdoms, I think of the magic kingdom. I mean, I'm really spiritual, right? Like, I'm thinking of Disney. Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, singing, dancing, fireworks, you know, rides, food, fun, festivities. The kingdom, the magic kingdom. But God's kingdom is more profound it's, it's more deep than, than that. The kingdom of God is, is the rule and reign of Christ in our life. It's deeply spiritual. The kingdom of God is not political. The kingdom of God is spiritual. 
And God wants us to understand our role in the kingdom, and he wants us to use the sweet spot of the way he's orchestrated our life and our circumstances to follow him. And I want to give you four things today to help you find that sweet spot. There's an outline in your worship folder. If you want to pull that out, you can follow along with where we're going today. Um, And how do I find the sweet spot? Well, number one is repent. Okay, everybody say repent. Repent, okay? Now here's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about turning away from some things so we can embrace something else. Look with me, if you would, in Mark 1, 14 to 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is announcing his public ministry. He's 30 years old. In the providence and the sovereignty of God, God has orchestrated circumstances for Jesus to announce the beginning of of his public ministry. And he says, we need to repent and we need to believe. And we need to believe the good news. And to repent means to change directions. Uh, It means to change the way that we think about things. Uh, Obviously, we all need to repent of our sins because we all got a lot of them. Amen? And repenting of sins is where we, you know, say, God, listen, I'm sorry I said this, I did this, I thought that. And, and we, we try to make those things right by, by confession and, and, and by prayer. And that's a, that's a very necessary part of the Christian experience. That's true. But I think even more specifically that Mark is saying to us that to repent means to change the direction of our life to align with the purposes of God. You notice he just says, repent there, repent and believe the good news. And so uh, the difference is that, that we all have a plan and a direction for our life. And many times we are so caught up trying to pursue the goals and objectives that we've put before us and that are maybe uh, self-orchestrated that we forget about the fact that God has a plan. God has a purpose. And if we're not careful, we can live our entire life pursuing our plan and failing to understand God's plan for our life. So to repent means that I want to align my life's purposes and plans with God's life's and purposes and plans. Instead of me telling God what he's supposed to be doing, I'm asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Do you see the difference? There's a really, really big Big difference. Now, it wasn't like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, those first of the four disciples that we find here in the Gospel of Mark, were really bad people. I mean, you know, they weren't felons, they weren't ex-cons, they weren't, they weren't uh, anything different than an average, you know, Jewish, Hebrew young man living in the first century. And yet, when Jesus starts his public ministry, he announces, repent and believe, and then he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be the first of the twelve. Jesus had twelve disciples, twelve intimate associates that he poured his life and his ministry into. And you could even break that down and say that Jesus had an inner circle. He had Peter, he had James, and he had John. 
And so of the four brothers, he had three that he was really, really, really close to. Those were Jesus. Those were his go-to guys right there. Peter and the Sons of Thunder, also known as James and John. But it starts here, and he says we need to repent, and we need to turn away from from our plan for our lives so we can embrace God's plan. Now, I coach an AAU basketball team, and I love the game of basketball, and I'm going to leave church today and run across town and coach my team this afternoon. And every season, inevitably, I get new players, and new players come onto the team, and they have their plan for how they're going to play basketball. And so one of my biggest jobs as a coach is to get that out of that player. So sometimes a kid will get the ball and immediately turn around and shoot a three-pointer off of one leg, falling down with three guys on him. And I'm like, are you going to play my way or are you going to play your way? What's it going to be? And those players that can't make that change, they, they have to play less. But if the kids will allow us to coach them and to teach them, they will become very effective in the game of basketball. Now, i got to submit to you, God has a game plan for your life. God has a purpose. God has a, God has a design. He has an offense. He has a defense. He has a strategy. He has a philosophy, if you will. And if we will turn away from, from just going our own direction and doing our own thing and making up our own rules and coming up with our own objectives, and we will say, God, what do you have for my life? We will live a life that is empowered. We will live a life of purpose. We will live a life of significance. We will live a a life that is deeply fulfilling. And I want you to have that in your own life. Now, this gets better. As, As you move on, he says, repent and believe. Now, right after this, we're going to read about the calling of these, of these four men. But before we get to that, let me point out number two. If you're going to live in the sweet spot of your calling, repent and believe. You've got to turn away from your own, your own direction, doing your own thing, and you've got to have faith. You've got to believe. You've got to believe, he says here in verse 15. Repent and believe. And this word believe in the language of the New Testament is a present imperative, which means that you believe and that you keep on believing. So there's a moment of salvation when you put your faith in Christ and you you believe. But you know what? You have to trust God every day. When you get up out of bed in the morning, you have to trust God to get you through the day. When you're facing adversity that's before you, you have to trust God. When you don't know the answers to the problems that you're facing, you have to trust God. And so you you have to believe and believe and believe, and we never get to a point in our own spiritual experience where we stop believing. Repent and believe, Jesus says. And belief is always accompanied by action. Sometimes we, we think about this word believe like just as something that happens in between our ears, right? Yeah, like I believe that. But if you truly believe something, it always has a profound impact on your actions, on your deeds. You, you, you can't say that you really believe in Jesus if it doesn't change something that you do. 
if it doesn't change something that you don't do, if your actions are not changed, did you really believe? James says you can't have faith without works. They go together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Amen? You're going to have a peanut butter sandwich. You want to have peanut butter with what? With some jelly. Yeah, you want to have both of them. They go together. And so we, 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 we repent and we believe. What do we believe in? We believe Jesus says here, in the good news. Well, what is the good news? Here's some really great news. Religion couldn't help us. The good news is that new resolutions to change couldn't help us. But Jesus can change us from the inside out. That's the good news. The good news was that we were alienated in our sin. The good news is that we were broken and we didn't have the answers, but God sent a Savior and he lived a perfect life on this earth and he died on a cross and he rose from the grave on the third day and that, my friends, is really good news. He says, repent and believe in the good news. But to find that sweet spot, Mark goes on and he explains to us we have to follow We have to follow Christ. And I want you to listen in these verses how many times that you hear the word follow. Mark chapter 1, 16 to 20. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets And followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them. And then they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and he hired men and followed him. With the hired men and followed him. Okay, so three times, right? Mark emphasizes following Jesus. I'm not just believing just some facts about Jesus. I'm I'm repenting, I'm believing, and I'm following. And when I follow Jesus, then I get into that sweet spot of where God wants me to be. Okay, Jesus says here that if you will follow me, you will become fishers of men. And Peter and Andrew get this great word and And they understood that. Isn't it beautiful how Jesus would speak to people in ways that they would understand? I'm sure that people of other professions that maybe Jesus would not have used the same analogy. But he's like, Peter and Andrew, look, the way you guys are catching the fish, you're going to catch people. And if you push the fast forward button, you see that Peter preaches at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people come to Christ when they hear the sermon of Peter. How many of you would say that's a pretty good sermon? Pretty good. He's the extrovert. He's the the leader of the 12. He's a very dynamic, you know, type personality figure in the scriptures. Peter's the guy. He's funny. He talks first and thinks second. Okay? And all the way through the scripture, you see that. But he's a powerhouse for God. Andrew, the brother, is kind of the introvert. And Andrew is known for bringing people to Christ personally. He started by bringing Peter. Andrew went and got Peter and brought him to Christ. You know what? We need family members bringing family members to Jesus. 
And Andrew illustrates that. But in other places in Scripture, that's what we see related to, to, to Jesus and, and, and Andrew. Andrew is bringing people to Christ. He's the bringer. He's the bringer. And so in their own individual ways, God understands your giftings, your callings, your capabilities, your skills. Um, and, and, but God wants you to become a fisher of men. He wants you to use whatever gifts that God has given to you and and all of our skill sets and our backgrounds and our experiences are different, but God wants us to join together and to point people to Christ and we do so in all kinds of different ways and all unique scenarios, but we're all about the same purpose. God wants us to be fishers of men. He wants us to be pointing people to Christ. How do we do that? Well, we follow Jesus. We got to follow him. Um, following Christ. Listen, I, I don't know whether you need to buy this house or that house. I'm not sure what decisions you need to be making for your family, you know, what school your kids are going to go to, or maybe if you should marry this person or that person, or take this job or that job. I don't know the answers to that, but I can guarantee you, if you will follow Jesus, Jesus will show you every single thing you need to do. And sometimes we want to reduce our Christian experience down to like, you know, a set of choices. Do I do this or do this or do this? I don't know, but I just know if you will follow Jesus, he will direct you, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will fulfill you, he will teach you, he will show you everything that you need to know. Follow him, follow him. And Jesus' urgency in this encounter with the disciples actually leads these men to leave everything on the spot. I mean, they don't even go back and give their family members a high five. They're they're gone, man. Jesus called, I'm ready. There's an urgency. There's a seriousness. There's a deliberativeness in in their commitment to Christ that just leads them to respond and to move, and to follow. Now you may look at this, and sometimes we read about characters in the Bible, and people are like, well, that was great for the first century, right? That was working great for all these guys that we see in the stained glass windows and all of the cathedrals in Europe. I get it. But here's what I want you to know about these these four disciples. They were normal guys. They were ordinary men. There was nothing special about fishermen in the ancient world. A lot of people did fishing, but they were the normal folks. They were middle class individuals. They they were not super educated. They weren't sophisticated. They didn't come from wealthy families. They were just normal. They were normal dudes, and yet God did extraordinary things in their heart and lives. Isn't that amazing? Incredible to think about. I hope that brings some hope for you today because it's easy to look around and go, well, you know what, there's so many more people that are qualified than me. I've done this. I don't have this. I don't know these people. I, have, I haven't memorized the whole Bible. <laughs> I haven't even read the Bible. You know, can God use me? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, he can. He can absolutely use us. Jesus uses ordinary people. This is reiterated in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. It says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were, were wise 
from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world and what is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one one may boast in his presence. Okay, so Paul is saying to us, look, God uses people. God uses things that other people are quick to dismiss. I love this text because uh, this word foolish in verse 27 is the English is is a word that we get the English word moron from. Now, is that a compliment if somebody calls you a moron? Paul's saying, listen, God uses moronic people. God uses moronic things to confound the wise. The people that thought they had it all figured out, the people that thought they knew exactly what God was going to do, God picked a moron. And if God picks a moron, maybe God could use you. Amen? Maybe God could use me. God uses what's insignificant. And we see this illustrated here in these four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus could have called much more sophisticated individuals, but he picked those. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, as I follow Jesus... As I follow the footsteps of Jesus, the goal is that people would follow me. That's a good thing. You want people to follow you as long as you're pointing them to the right Savior, as long as you're pointing them to Christ. Hey, come follow me as I follow him. If I ever stop following him, don't follow me anymore, but follow me as I follow Christ. Do you see it? The people that I've learned the most from spiritually in my Christian journey has not been the people that necessarily opened up a workbook and took me through and we filled in the blanks and we had a curriculum. I'm for that. We do some of that here at Edge Church. There's good things that can come from that. But I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you, the people that I have learned more about my Christian faith from is the people that I went out to eat with. It's the people that I watched how they talked to their wives. It's the people that I met their kids, the people that I sat on their couch in their living room. It's the people that I got to watch do life and just live out their Christian expression in all that they did. Isn't that beautiful? I think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, follow me. When Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, there's something about being with people. And and listen, if you're a mature believer in Christ, then you ought to have a lot of people that are following you. If you're like a new, new believer, this is all kind of new to you, you may not have many folks following you. But you know what? If you've been in Christ for a while, you ought to have people that are looking to your example that you are influencing directly and indirectly to point them to the Savior. Come follow me as I follow Christ. See, sometimes people think, well, following Christ, that's so ambiguous. What in the world does that mean? Okay, I got you. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because you can have a personal conversation. We can sit down and look eyeball to eyeball, and we can talk about Jesus. Follow me. Maybe people need to follow more of us because maybe they don't really understand all of who Jesus is. And you know what? That ups the ante 
on our relationships and on our integrity and our character and our spiritual maturity because if people are truly going to follow us, we got to make sure that we have our stuff in order. We got to make sure that we're living in the purposes and the callings and the plans of God. So important. And how are we going to do it? Well, we got to live in that sweet spot, don't we? Live in that sweet spot of God's calling. We follow. We follow. But listen, there's a final thing, and I want you to write this down. There's a going. The sweet spot, the sweet spot of being in the calling of God. Repent, believe, follow, go. See, Jesus didn't call the, the disciples just to come hang out. This wasn't just let's sit around and talk about the campfire and you know, have a good time. Jesus is training them. There's a training. Jesus' ministry on earth was only three years. After that, Jesus ascends to heaven. He's gone, man. He's out of here. And now it's on the shoulders of the disciples. Something so profound happened. Uh, after the ascension, the disciples dispersed, and they all went to different regions of the world, and they took the message of the resurrection of Christ. And guess what happened? Churches were started all over the place, all over the known world. In just a few years, the Christian faith moved from a few Jews that lived in Jerusalem to a worldwide faith. Why? It sat on the shoulders of the people who were going. They followed Jesus, and then Jesus sent them out, and they took the message all over the planet. It was powerful. They got it. They understood it. And so there's a following, and there's a going. And God wants you to be a goer. That's what Jesus said here in uh, verse 16 through 20. Let me read it again. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew Simon's brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Um, this phrase, uh, send you out, is found in today's NIV, which I think captures more accurately what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Um, he's saying, I I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out into the world to serve people in my name. I'm going to take this life of yours that's pretty good, and maybe you're, you're like, hey, I like being a fisherman. I I'm good catching the fish. I'm, I'm good living here in Galilee and doing all this. But I'm going to take that life and I'm going to allow you to move in the sweet spot of God's calling for what's before you. Isn't that crazy? God wants you to be going. God wants you to be going. Are you going? Are you, are you talking to people about your faith? Are, 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 are you uh, encouraging people to follow Jesus? Are you speaking a good word for Jesus? You know, what about going in our homes? Man, are your family members, are your family members Christ followers, your brothers, your sisters, your children, your aunts and your uncles, do they know Christ? 
As you follow Jesus, Jesus is now sending you into those environments to make a difference. There's some people that you could influence and talk to about faith that nobody else may be able to have that conversation with, but you can. And God wants to use you. That's the sweet spot of your calling. So listen, it doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter what your livelihood is. God wants you to be about kingdom purpose, and that's about fishing for people. Isn't that beautiful? It's all the same. It's all the same. Many of you spend 45, the average person I think works about 45 hours a week. Some of you are like, I wish that I worked 45 hours a week. What about the people at the office? What about the people you work with? What about the clients that you have? What about the relationships that you have in and through work? Do you believe that all of those relationships are by accident? Or do you believe that God divinely ordered your steps and put you in that place and put you in that cubicle and put you in that situation so that you could become a fisher of men? See, I wonder how it would change our attitude about work if we didn't see work as just work, but we saw work as opportunity to advance kingdom. That's a kingdom mindset. When Jesus announces the kingdom of God, God wants us to have a kingdom mentality. He wants us to think kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. We think task, 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 or work, 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 or job, job, job. We should be saying kingdom first, kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. God, give me the opportunity. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, hey, I would love to reach some of my coworkers for Christ because they're driving me crazy. They need Jesus. But I don't know what to say, Pastor. I get it. I know it's tough. Listen, you ought to pray like crazy. God, would you give me some wisdom? God, would you give me some words? God, would you teach me what to say? God, would you open a door of opportunity? I'm scared out of my mind. I have no idea what to say. But Lord, I'm following you. And Lord, my heart is teachable. And I want to do what you've called me to do. So Lord, would you teach me? Would you show me? We ought to build as many relationships as we can. Because relationships will open up doors of opportunity. We ought to serve people. We, we ought to bring salt and light into the workplace. We ought to be a good example. We ought to be loving and patient and kind. All of that's true. But you know what? As you follow Christ, I'm confident that he's going to show you exactly what to do. I think bringing friends to church is one of the greatest opportunities that you have because you know they're going to have a great time at Edge Church if they come. So who are you bringing? Who are you inviting? Who are you talking to about faith? Let's use the relationships, the doors of opportunity, what God has given to us. Let's use it in a beautiful way to become these fishers of men. God wants us to move from following to going. And listen, when you become a goer with Christ, the message of the kingdom the good news of the kingdom really starts to resonate in your heart. By the way, if it really is good news, shouldn't we be sharing the good news with others if the good news is really good? I mean, I think so. The good news is really, really good. It's really good. So we ought to talk to everybody we can about that.
And we ought to be going in every environment, every opportunity that God has. I think that going is not so much about going to new places as it is about going to the places you're already headed to with more purpose. So see, it, it may not be about finding a new job. It just may be about being in the job that you're in, but just thinking about it from a kingdom mindset. What about in your neighborhood, your next door neighbors? Do you believe that God put some people on your block and on your street by accident or on purpose? What if you took a few more moments to meet your neighbors, to talk to them, to, to, to get to know them a bit? What would God do with that? God wants you to become fishers of men. And you know what? When we do it, we find the sweet spot of God's calling on our life. We find fulfillment. We find joy. We find purpose. We find power. We find so many things as we join in to this kingdom cause that is set forth by Jesus and we bring the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God to all those that are around us. Would you pray with me for just a minute?